the competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet now your host nick nanavani hey everyone welcome back to another episode of the art of war podcast i am your host nick nanavati and this week we have a special treat for you one of my good friends eric forsman eric how you doing i'm well nick thanks for having me anytime so for those of you who may not know who eric is let me introduce you he is the man he's the myth and he's the legend all three at once he is a relatively new player on the competitive 40k scene only getting really competitive with it for the past couple of years but man has he rocketed to the top of the ladders uh, i've never seen someone with like such a tenacity to try to get better uh, in the face of absolute dismantling and uh, now, Eric, you've finally climbed the ladder all the way up to a member of the Team America national team. Congratulations. Hey, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely well earned. Today, this is going to be part one of a two-part show. In part one, we're going to get to know Eric. We're going to get to know how he got into Warhammer, what his journey has been like, and how do you improve to the point of making the national team from what is otherwise no Warhammer skill whatsoever in such a short amount of time and what that journey looks like. In part two, we're going to talk about taking that, those skill sets that Eric has learned and used for his rapid climb up the 48 competitive ladder and applying it to 10th edition. Of course, WTC has announced they'll be using the new edition of the rules, which means Eric's got not much time to learn an entirely brand new rule set, which everyone will be trying to learn at the same time. So we're going to unpack exactly how Eric plans to do that. Does that sound good to you, Eric? Oh, I love it. Awesome. So that part two, where we're going to talk about Eric's methodology for 10th edition, that's going to be available for patrons only. You can become a patron on AOW40K.com. Not only does it help me keep producing this show and keep the lights on and the food on the table, but it also gets you access to an amazing Discord server with some of the most amazing competitive minds in Warhammer at your fingertips. So without further ado, Eric, tell me a tale. How did you get into Warhammer? So I got into 40K during COVID. A guy I worked with was was uh, trying to get me to play, at the time, just a game that he liked quite a bit. And I kept saying, no, I'm busy, work, kids, family. COVID happened. All of a sudden, we had a lot of time. <laughs> we, had a, we had a lot of extra time. So I said, what the heck, let's, let's go. I uh, went over to his, to his house, and he whooped my butt with white scars. And I, uh, being a very competitive person, said, all right, so I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> and That's awesome. That's a good yep, mindset. Yep, that was, uh, that was game number one, getting destroyed by White Scars. So for game number one, is that like you walked up and he gave you like a 2,000-point army and you just played like a normal game of Warhammer when you don't even know how to roll the hit yet? Or like was it a baby step kind of thing? So it was a 1,000 versus 1,000, and he told me just to worry about strategy and placement. And then when it came time for like hit roll, wound roll, he would tell me, all right, you need threes and then fours, or you need fours and then fives. Or So it was more so strategy-based um uh going in at that point and this was just a very very tail end of eighth edition gotcha so almost with that new edition and ninth edition it was a great time to kind of get into the game and really get going with it i i think so i think that gave me a nice edge early because i only knew ninth edition so where people were kind of still kind of have that 
you know, hangover from the previous edition. I was right into ninth where they're trying to table me and I'm just living on objective scoring points. Right. Nice. So you just play, you've actually not kind of alluded your knowledge base of all these previous editions. You just are coming in fresh, ready to learn. Yes, correct. So what did that journey look like? You came back to your buddy's house the next day. Presumably he beat your butt again, but over time you get better. What is that progression? So it was pretty frustrating early to actually get the understand the nuances of like being right outside of threat range. I remember him one game I played and I was too far back where I didn't score any points. He said, Oh, you're just too far. And then one game I was too close. And I'm like, ah, what is the difference? How, how am I to know what's too far and too close? Right. And I remember at the time being very, very frustrated. It can and... be so hard when you're new, just because like, you don't even know what you're doing wrong. You don't know what you're doing, right? The frame of reference is not there. So how do you get judgment across like what you did well or what you didn't? Yeah, that was tough because I didn't actually know about like Art of War at the time. So I didn't have any resources outside of playing these games. This one-on-one -on -one game with someone who's been playing for years, playing like a very aggressive table me White Scars army. Um, so it was a pretty frustrating learning curve, but I'm just one where I'm hyper competitive and I re just refuse to refuse to lose. I tried to walk away with a lesson from every game. That's a great mindset. And clearly it's carried you really far. What are like, let's fast forward a little bit to when you're playing uh, your first tournaments and like going to events and starting to not do particularly well. How did you get better from that perspective? Um, so actually the first tournament I played, I started playing Raven Guard and I put a list together and I, I made the mistake of putting it on like the Raven Guard Facebook page and the players there said that's not a Raven Guard list and they kind of laughed at it so bad I deleted the post. <laughs> they they kind of <laughs> laughed me off, yeah, which is typical online and I went to local RTT and I actually won my first like with 2000 your garbage Raven Guard RTT. list. Yes, with my garbage. Well, I started looking this was end of 8th and I started, you know, overlaying buffs and saying well these dreadnoughts with a lieutenant i used you know this stratagem to reroll hits it seems very efficient let's go and i actually won the took first place at that first rtt um and yeah did not i decided i was not going to go onto facebook or reddit for <laughs> any competitive information that that was poor source of information um, I still didn't know about Art of War yet, and the first GT I went to was in Minnesota, and I actually went 4-0 and out of the gate with Harlequins and uh, lost round five there. But at that event, met some people that said, hey, you should check out Art of War, which is kind of where I became a member right away and started realizing, hey, this you know competitive content is something you need getting started. That's really interesting. I did not pay you to say that, for the record. No, no, you did not. But you're asking me how I got started. I'm going to, you know, thank a lot of people because I do think for me to accomplish what I have and I'm proud of what I've accomplished, I, a, a lot of people in the community have spent time and effort to to teach me and answer questions along the way. So I'm going to thank a lot of people. So Art of War is definitely one. You were one of the first people I ever talked to um, with Art of War. I was about to say, you're no stranger. You've just messaged me from time to time and been like, 
here's a question, Nick, will you help me get better? And like, absolutely. You know, you're my buddy. I like helping people. Why not? Well, I hired you, hired you at first because I thought, you know, if I was going to get into like mountain climbing or cycling, like you're talking about thousands of dollars of cost to get into a hobby, paying someone X amount of money for one-on-one tutelage is invaluable. It didn't seem like it's, it seemed like the net, like the only step forward is, Hey, I want, I want to talk to someone who is a world champ. So like it didn't seem even remotely close to like a mountain bike is $4,000 is art of war coaching is two figures. Like, you know what I mean? It didn't, it didn't even compute as like an, an expense. It was like, wow, I can't believe this is so affordable to me. At the oh, time. That's awesome. I'm glad I know, you felt you're that not way. paying me, but, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm serious. Like it, it was valuable to me at the time. It was very valuable. So through your journey, you keep citing like other people and, and the content you found through our divorce is like how you got better. What, what is the thing you found valuable about it? How did you consume the content? Cause there's tons of people who are content consumers, whether they're on art of war or not, who have knowledge of competitive 40 K and how to study or where to study it, I should say. And you know, everybody has access to the internet. So what is it that separates your ability to learn Warhammer from so many people out there? So I think for me, it was always understanding what I'm bad at, and that was my focus. If it was something I'd never heard of, or I'd go back through Art of War content, and if it was like a a combat phase or a consolidation step I had never seen, I would pull up that video. Um, I think we want to play to our strengths, but hedge up our weaknesses. So part of my career is always been focused on I only want to play people that are beating me and then as soon as I beat someone I don't want to play them again not at least not for training for practice for practice games I always want to play up I want to does play that, up. does that exclude like regular sparring partners I imagine you have like one or two or three guys that you just play with on the regular and you know sometimes you uh, beat them sometimes they beat you so now is different now is I'm I am different now it's I'm more like testing and figuring out nuances but as like when i'm really when very early on focusing on development yeah i did want like i you know i met you guys the rest of the art of work crew in dallas who kind of set me towards cameron pinero locally and uh just started getting whooped by cameron over and over and i was like well this is who i'm playing cameron and i used to be battle buddies back in new jersey (laughs) when i played back in those days yeah and you know someone like that like he I've started to realize different people have different strengths. Cameron has like phenomenal grasp of micro movements in the game and different people have very good strategy, very good tactics, very good game knowledge, very good memory. Cameron is very, very, very good at micro movements. And so that was one thing I tried to learn um, there is uh, like locally, we, we, you know, we started a team locally and and uh, our focus is like practice, like knowledge growing. So like our, even our like game nights isn't win or lose. It's what are we learning? What are we growing? Like we're trying to build the community. So like a knowledge-based mentality. Yeah, it's that knowledge-based practice that's like very contagious. And like now people aren't afraid to bring something new or this list or new players aren't afraid to come because they're like, oh, sorry, I'm going to lose. I'm like, oh, no one's losing. We're all learning. 
love that. That's such a great way to look at it. Honestly, as I was getting better when I was younger at this game, that was exactly it. You know, I try something, it sucked, whatever, and I learned something. And, you know, apply that over and over and over again. You learn, and you if you act like a sponge, which is kind of what you're saying you do, Eric, that's fundamentally how you do get better. Yeah. I was, yeah, there's there's big moments, right? One, you know, one moment was that. You were actually another part of a big moment for me when uh, I sent you a list and I said, what do you think about this? And you messaged me back and you're like, stop playing my list. <laughs> you're like, you've been playing long enough. You're good enough. And you didn't say this in a hurtful way. You're like, dude, you should start playing your own list. It will make you a better player. Right. Like that you're right. at that I'm level. I'm a firm believer of that. Well, yeah. You're like, play your own list. You will, you'll thank me later. And so I said, you know what? You're right. I stopped playing other people's lists and like devoted to playing my lists. And, so you, uh, it sounds like you kind of approach 40k as a, a very competitive mindset. You're like, how do I get better at this game? You don't seem to have like an affiliation with some faction that you know just makes you want to play your white guards however best you can or whatever. And to that, you're you're you started out copying other people's lists and you know they may be effective and you try to learn how to use them, which is not a bad way. But ultimately, you did have that ceiling, which I advise you to go write your own lists. How did you? How do you view the game in terms of like, do you have preferred factions or things you just won't play, things you prefer playing? And then with list writing and all that, talk to talk, just elaborate on all that if you could. So for me now, it's more of a focus on what am I achieving for this like quarter. I like to have goals for the year and things I'm focused on. So. Being a tournament player, it's easy to look ahead and say, all right, well, these are the tournaments I'm going to. So for me now, the focus is 100% Team 40K. Like, I, I play singles events, but for fun and for practice for teams. So now going to a team event, like we have, you know, team events coming up, Kansas City, WTC, ATC, we have a Wisconsin team, like these team events, I'm aware of who my teammates are, and I know their factions. So I kind of have an idea of what the team will need in my playable factions based on the eight that I own, and then the meta itself. And so I have a pretty good idea a few months out of what factions are going to be relevant, barring any huge uh, like data slate changes. And so I start focusing on factions based on like what will add value to the team. Um, yeah, and that's a really altruistic way of going about it, trying to be that person who can just fill the role for your team, that especially is is pertinent in Team 40K. Dude, but there's a lot of different factors that determine what army someone should play, whether or not what the team needs. So the team may be looking for like someone to play Tau and just table people. But you may not yourself be a Tau player or, you know, a shooty player or a anything like that. Do you have a specific play style and armies that kind of fit within that? So I do think that uh, I, I am better at playing like MSU trading armies. I think that particularly suits my style, but... I've, I've taken steps throughout my career because my goal wasn't to be like the best sisters player. It was to be the best 40 K player or the best team player. And so at one point I was very comfortable playing like Harlequins, very, very passive shifty. I didn't like full send the army and pin people. I would like hit, hit these spots very similar to how you like to play very shifty. Uh, but precise movements, right? Just scoring, trading exactly what I need, exposing what I need. Uh, I actually 
bought and built orcs in order to force myself to learn to be more aggressive and play more aggressive armies. Did that and work for you? It did, yeah. Um, so I got into orcs that taught me more of aggression, which taught me more like timed aggression. Um, I actually took Chaos Knights to an RTT a month ago just because I am very, very uncomfortable playing low model count armies. And I feel that doing something that puts you outside of your comfort zone is one of the best ways to force your brain to grow and develop because you're not living in your safe little box. You're doing something new and scary and it forces you to adapt. I think that's true for pretty much any learning type of thing, just getting yourself out of your comfort zone, pushing your boundaries. Uh, same thing as like exercising a muscle. So yeah. I've, been, I've done similar stuff myself where like I'm also not an aggressive player by nature and I like force myself to play CSM with no secondary game. So I have to go to the people. <laughs> yeah. I find it very challenging and there's a whole argument to be made like, you know, magnify and amplify your strengths as opposed to try to fix your weaknesses. You seem to be just tackling it all at once. Do you have a, an opinion on that? So I think that people, I don't think there's one particular style or way of development or growth. Um, I know that a lot of people, I would say that most people probably benefit most from like sticking to a uh, faction or style and kind of becoming that master. Like, what is it? Bruce Lee, like the guy that has done the one punch 10,000 times is scarier than the guy that knows 10,000 punches or something, right. something along those lines. But for me personally, I have found that the more styles and factions that I'm able to pilot and navigate, then the more knowledge I have while playing against them. So it becomes easier for me to, as I, I, I play more of a reactive style where when I understand your faction and its strengths, then I can exploit the weaknesses of that particular faction. So I'm a very knowledge based player. I, uh, I spend a lot of time reading codexes. I, I pretty much will, um, I will pretty much go through just the crunch. I, I've never read a page of fluff in my in my life, which may be sacrilegious to many people, but like I'll exactly I, similar, Eric. I gotta say, I'm not going into the show. I still think I'm very like I would say I'm probably at like a four out of ten is what I'm capable of becoming in this in this game so it's pretty uh, aggressive in a way considering you're already on like team america you're on you're competing on these all these national teams and you consider you're considering yourself not even halfway up to your potential development what is getting better look like for you um so to me it's greater knowledge of the game more muscle memory of particular factions more more repetitions into the higher level players so playing against people and starting to see their particular moves and styles and the plays that they tend to make and they gravitate towards. So you can see certain people and how they are able to take advantage of play styles and take advantage. Like I love watching Jack who will is very, very good at a lot of very high level players want to play this five turns of chess in Jack will say, nope, you're not going to get five turns. You better deal with this right now and put people on their back foot, which makes a lot of high competitive players very uncomfortable. And he does that. He, he does, yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. He does that very well. So 
it's interesting to watch different players approach different scenarios and how they tackle those challenges. I would say there's even layers to that as well. Like I've, I've had my kind of defensive reactive style, not dissimilar to yours for better part of a decade, if not longer. And I've refined it over time. Now, usually when people get super aggressive at me or try to put me under the gun so I make mistakes, 99, 95, I don't know what the percentage is, but oftentimes I solve that problem pretty, get through it calculatedly. Jack has maybe got my number or recently figured out his stride and he's figured out such a way to confuse the board state and make you deal with it all at once where you really, there is not a good way to deal with it all effectively. So at least not that I've found. So it's almost like there is no limit in terms of how you can apply knowledge. Like you can know all the rules in 40K, but how, how, you, how all of the interactions between all those rules, what those permutations look like, that's something else. That's a different beast of knowledge in my opinion. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, the other thing I'm trying to do is grow my local community. And Very noble goal. Uh, I mean, part of it is rooted in selfishness, right? I mean, the better that my local community gets, the better I will get as well. So I'm not completely altruistic, but if I, you know, if I, if I play eight games for myself and two for like teaching games, then ideally the rising tide rises all ships. And I think where we are here, we have a very, very strong community that I believe is still developing and growing. And there are a lot of local players that have been around a long time that are putting time into actually bringing the community up because we do have this learning mentality. And so at least here in like Southern Wisconsin, we have a wonderful team of people that uh, is committed to like growing, learning, getting better and making the community a better place for the the game and the hobby side. Right. So there's a lot of layers to getting better in terms of how someone approaches it. You're consuming content, talking to people. What kind of questions are you asking? How are you actively trying to get better? How do you read a game after it's happened and be like, this was my takeaway and learn something? So I typically focus on myself and my plays. And like I grew up playing chess. And one of the things I love about chess is when you lose, it's because you've made a mistake or someone else has outplayed and you didn't respond correctly. And so when I lose a game of 40K, there's always something I could have done differently. And I spend a lot of time dissecting those mistakes made in game. Um, How do you identify what's a mistake versus uh, not? Because you know, in 40K, it's very easy to just instantaneously blame the dice. And we don't really do that here because that's obviously no path to get better. But then the next step to it is, all right, if the dice didn't do me dirty, where did I move my unit incorrectly? Like, how did I allocate my attacks wrong? Sometimes it's really obvious where it's like, I forgot the heroic intervention stratagem. Okay, don't do that next time. But when it's more subtle, like you have the overall plan wrong or you might mismanage the unit's positioning, that's hard to spot in post. What is your methodology for recognizing that? So... I guess for me, it boils down to those areas where I think a lot of people would say, oh, the dice have failed me here, but it's kind of creating this level of how many times can the dice fail before your plan falls apart. So I don't, I play 
where a lot of times it's interesting I'll approach like a like a skirmish or a conflict where I don't necessarily expect the dice to always go my way. And when it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And so when the dice don't go my way and it does matter, I feel like I've made a tactical error because I put reliance on the dice rather than reliance on what the rest of my army is doing. Um, yeah, so I know, sense. right. So I know that sounds a little odd, but like, if I'm, if I, if I'm saying, Hey, and sometimes we are in that situation where we say, look, if the dice fail here, I do, this is bad. Yeah, sometimes and you have to hit a four inch charge. And if you roll double ones twice, like it happens a hundred percent, that does happen. Um, right. And, and there, but I do think that like part of that can be, um, part of that can be stopped before you even hit the table. Uh, for instance, I'll refer to like last year you saw like Lennon playing the like double Kraken with like the double flyer Kraken list, which I pro I think probably was the strongest list in the game at the time, but it had the highest amount of failure points. And so yeah, like, I would agree with that. And so like for me, I wasn't really willing to risk having that many failure points in an army. And so I avoided taking that to an event. Um, do I and think that, that kind was of the reflects wrong? as well? Um, just on John Lennon, on that army in general, like that was an insanely strong army, incredibly hard to play against at pretty much any level of the game for a variety of reasons. But it did have those failure points, and John often struggled to close out the eight, nine, nine, eight, nine-round super majors with it, usually taking a loss somewhere in the middle to something unexpected, just because, like, sometimes you just have that psychic phase where every single spell fails. Yes, and I don't think—so I, I think part of that comes into list building, and you're like, well, are you committed to a faction? Well, I think I have eight factions that I play. And I think having those eight factions will let me say, okay, well, what is the event I'm going to? What is it I'm trying to achieve? What, like, I'll be able to bring a list that best suits what I'm trying to achieve and say, okay, well, what has the least amount of failure points for what's going on in the meta currently? And then, you know, I can I can recognize on the table if it's a mistake that I made. So a lot of the mistakes are made in, like, list design, and then mistakes are made right away in deployment sometimes some armies have very limited like eldar you can kind of deploy wherever you're going to get where you want to go right not every faction operates like that you're kind of pigeonholed to your to your line so um you're you should be able to kind of look back at that game and say well here's the moment where i made this mistake and what could i have done differently and sometimes it does problems here yeah, and a lot of times for me that does take time. It'll take me a week or so to dissect because if you make that one change, you might get 20 different outcomes from there. So uh, how do you, I guess, what do you struggle with as a player the most, personally? So I think I've had different struggles throughout different periods of time. Um, before you told me to stop playing your lists, I was not confident enough to play my own lists. Mm -hmm. Now, that was a big struggle. Um, before I understood a lot of nuances of the charge and the fight phase, playing those combat armies was a struggle for me. Um, so I, I think the struggles kind of change as we do. Um, I think currently, uh, the struggle is uh, 
getting uh, to the point where I'm figuring out how to get like very high scores up into like very very high level players. Uh, right. I I will. I'm I, I think I'm at the point now where I could beat any player at any given day. Um, I may need a few things to go my way into certain people. Like if you and I play, you're, you're just a better player than I am right now. I have to recognize that I will have to play a very, very tight game and you could make a couple mistakes here and there. And I would need a couple things to go my way. I think I can beat you, right? That's, that's not a question. Do I think I could beat you by 50? That is probably not happening right now. But that's where I want to be, is to that point where I couldn't take world-class players and have the opportunity to win by huge margins and be more valuable as that role in a team format. So a lot of what you're saying, and I can hear your team background speaking here, is comes from teams because the margin of victory matters so much. And there are games where your job is to just play for the draw, and there's games where your job is to totally smash your opponent. All that comes into team strategy and what your specific role is, pairings. There's so many factors, and we go into it in detail uh, in the Worm for those Worm subscribers of ours. But to bring it back down to this conversation, a lot of the work in team pairings to facilitate those 20-0-point wins, or the difference by 50, as you called it, that is so done by the nature of the pairings process. We're talking about... Here is my Chaos Knight army hard countering your foot Harlequins. You know, this is, your army is not designed to solve this problem. My army is designed to kill you. That's how I'm going to beat you by 50 points. In like a singles environment, those types of blowouts only happen if the armies, you know, like I'm playing orcs and I got shot turn one, lost all three kill rigs. That's how you lose by 50 or something, where I play orcs and I stepped on the gas and they had no models because I logged them and it's turn one. So it can happen, but largely speaking, the player skill doesn't really allow you to take it to that level on its own because your opponent is also playing a game at that top level. Does that make sense? No, I agree. I think that you see more of that in team environment, um, but you still see players who will beat even the best players nationally, regionally, worldwide by a very high margin. And that's not sure. just a bad matchup. That's true. So you're saying there's just like more room to grow for yourself. You can see, I, I just, I don't ever think that I'd be comfortable saying I'm done learning. I think if I ever say something like that, I have something wrong with me. <laughs> yeah. I, I've gotten to the point where I say I've learned enough. There's never going to be a time where you and I couldn't put 2000 points each on the table. And I don't walk away with some sort of knowledge from that particular game. Right. I get so, so it's this mentality that I'm sure has helped you accumulate a mass amount of knowledge and critically evaluate your choices to help you get better over time. What, how specific we want to get into that, you know, that's going to be game by game by game. But ultimately, that's the path you've taken to get better. And now you're recognized for it, being the, the World Team Championship America team, being on uh, a quality team for the Kansas team tournament that GW is putting on in a couple weeks. And with team environment, there's a lot more pressure to perform and all that because you're not just playing for yourself. You lose the game. It's not just necessarily a learning experience. Other people had stake in that game. Is that something that you struggle with, the pressures of it all? No, I, I actually think that's an advantage for me. I grew up playing sports all year, and I played on a lot of losing teams and a lot of championship teams. 
and a lot of champion teams I was on, you know, you, you have these moments where the pressure is there and the pressure is something that always, I feel like when there is pressure, that's when my focus becomes a laser beam. And so, you know, pressure for me pushes me to that higher level because I'm able to like harness it. Um, it doesn't throw me off my game. I love stepping up to a table feeling like a little jittery beforehand. Yeah, um, I know what you mean. It's a good feeling. It's yeah, like it, a, it's definitely a strange one, but absolutely. If you can harness that into like it, uh, something to drive you to perform better, that's super powerful. I mean, I'm I'm certain I'm riddled with ADHD. So you and me both. If I could take that adrenaline, and maybe that's that's my uh, medication for that moment is is taking that ADHD and turning it into my superpower for that two hour game. Uh, mm-hmm. That that is uh, I, I like those pressure moments. So I think right about now is a good time to kind of hang up this conversation and head over to part two because part two is going to get good. We're going to talk about practically applying all these massive learning skills that Eric has accumulated over a couple of years and applying them to a brand new edition. With WTC is coming up in August and Eric is, of course, a member of Team America. They're playing 10th edition and Eric is going to have to learn not only the WTC and that high level caliber play of world champions. This is his first time going. He's also going to learn a brand new game. Eric, are you nervous about this? Uh, very excited. Very excited. And a little nervous. nervous yeah. Like uh, two sides of the same coin there. Yeah, I'm definitely a little nervous, but very excited. And, you know, we're all in the same boat. Exactly. So we're going to unlock exactly how you plan to go about learning this edition. For those of you who are departing us at the end of this episode, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for staying with us. For those of you who are joining us on Patreon or thinking about subscribing, head on over to AOW40K.com. That's where you can become a patron, join our Discord community, and catch part two of not just this episode, but 190 other episodes of Art of War. Eric and I are going to be dissecting exactly how he plans to tackle a behemoth that is the upcoming 10th edition. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and we will catch you next week. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. TheArtOfWar40K.com